Jeff. If you can find the time, man, start a podcast. Jeff, I've been thinking about it, man. You got a pretty unique perspective on a lot of things, and I think you should start a podcast. 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 Start your podcast. You should start a podcast. You should start a podcast. Jeff, what are you waiting for? The time is now. Okay, geez. Welcome to the Jeff Effect. Welcome. Welcome to the Jeff Effect. This is Jeff. Hey, listen, we are getting things launched here, and I think that there's a the best way to start this is to tell you a story. Now, this goes back at least 30 years. And 30 years ago, and stick with me on this because it, it's relevant. It, it, it applies to what we're going to be doing here together. So about 30 years ago, I had a car. Right. It was a, it was a Mercedes 250C. Now this was a, now to my mind it was a cool car. My wife, my wife didn't like it that much, but I thought it was a great car. And if you imagine in your brain, if you can look it up online if you want to, you know, 1970 Mercedes 250C had straight six Mercedes engine in it, great little car. But if you close your eyes and envision the type of car a Bond villain might be driving in the 1960s. That's the kind of Mercedes this was. Classic old school grill, chrome everywhere. It was dark midnight blue by the time I was done with it. And I really enjoyed the heck out of this car. I enjoyed tinkering with it, fixing the chrome trim. Anyway, so it was a fun project car and it was kind of fun to tool around in. And it was great. But one day I'm driving. Now, I'm li- we're living in California at the time, right? So I'm driving from a job assignment in San Diego, and I'm driving up back home to our where Ellen and I lived in Orange County. And I'm on this. There's a big open stretch. As you once you leave Oceanside, California, you kind of go into this long, open, barren stretch, which is Camp Pendleton. It's a Marine Corps base. That's where they do military testing and where they practice landing and storming the beaches and stuff like that. And it's a it's got a gunnery range. It's it's it's. Uh, military military headquarters and it's a long open stretch of freeway i-5 that runs along the coast and it's a nice straight drive and so everybody's making that drive and i'm on that road heading back full speed 80 miles an hour 85 miles an hour on a california freeway and all of a sudden out of nowhere big blue billows of smoke start pouring out of the back of my car never a good sign, right? Not not a good deal. So I'm all of a sudden. It's, it's like, and this isn't like a puff of smoke, you know, when you have like a you know a little bit of a oil that's in your engine, and a little puff of smoke comes out the back. Speaking of James Bond, this is like a James Bond smokescreen, like a, like a spy car has nobody. I'm a hazard of navigation. Nobody can see around me, and so I pull off the side of the road, and the car just stops smoking. But holy crap, what was that? I turned the car on again. And instantly, big blue billows of smoke start pouring out the back. I, I don't know what the deal is. But the car, you know, was performing fine. I, I didn't, so I'm, I know that I'm near San Clemente. When you, when you, as you come out of Camp Pendleton, you approach San Clemente. And I'm approaching San Clemente, and I know that's a, it's a kind of a wealthier section. There's got to be a Mercedes dealership there. I can pull in, and I can have this thing checked out. So... I start the car and I pull back onto the to the into the freeway. Everyone's honking at me. I'm a hazard navigation. People are mad at me, but I'm limping my car. But not limping. It's it's accelerating great. I'm getting my car to San Clemente, and sure enough, as soon as I cross 
across the border from San Diego County to Orange County. I'm in San Clemente. First thing I see up on the right up on a hill is a Mercedes logo. I pull off and I pull into the dealership. It's not a dealership, but pull into the, the mechanic shop there. And I pull in there and I say, okay, guy, I, I something's wrong with my car. Am I safe to drive? And a guy, they go look at my car, and he starts my car, and he drives it around a little bit, and, and he sees the smoke, and the guy comes in. Now, now picture this as well. This is, this is worth, imagine in your mind this guy, right? He's, uh, you know, he's about six foot tall. He's wearing a big, you know, this isn't like a, this isn't like a normal, you know, mechanic shop. You know, I was driving, I'm driving an old, you know, uh, you know, almost vintage Mercedes that I paid like three grand for, something like that. This is, this is not, you know, I'm not a rich guy at this point, but this is just a cool old car. And this guy works on, you know, $100,000 cars all day. He's, in, he's wearing that white, he's wearing a white lab coat. He's not wearing like grease-colored, grease-smeared overalls. He's in a white lab coat and his hair's done perfectly. And he comes back into the car, comes back into the waiting room and says, well, Mr. Hardy, I'm afraid we have a problem. I said, uh, you know, this, I'm very familiar with this car. The, that engine, that 250 straight six, uh, 250 cc straight six engine that Mercedes makes, it's one of their best engines. It's, it's, it's a great engine, but obviously there's a deep problem inside the engine. Um, it's going to take at least $1,500 to, because we have to pull the engine to get inside deep just to diagnose the problem. If it's a ring or an internal seal, it's going to be hundreds more. Your, this repair is going to be between $2,000 and $3,000 no matter what, and I, I know this car, that's about all the car's worth. You've got to really decide if you want to fix the car. And I went, nobody wants to, nobody. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like 24 years old, 25 years old, something like that. I don't have the money to buy a new car. I, I, I just got married. I got nothing. I, don't, I got no, you know, I'm, I'm just making, making everything work as it is. I mean, this is bad news, right? But I started thinking about it. I said, you know, it doesn't make sense. I said, if this thing was a deep engine problem, if there was a blown gasket i'd be hearing some some noise if there was a if there was a a broken valve or a seal in there the engine performing if you i mean this is you know if you go out and start that car sir that if you step on the gas you're going to squeal the tires in the parking lot that's that it doesn't feel like it's an an engine problem and this is what the guy did i swear he looked at me and kind of nodded very seriously that slow nod of somebody who's an expert who knows he just knows that He's giving bad news, and the person doesn't want to believe it. And, and he sweeps his arm, his right hand, he sweeps his arm up and points to the wall. And sure enough, the wall is covered with plaques and certificates. Plaques and certificates as far as the eye can see. And he says things, he says, I've trained at Stuttgart, Germany. I have traveled all the way to Germany and trained on every engine. I've serviced this particular type of car hundreds and hundreds of times. I know there's a problem here, and I know it's bad news, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid you have a tough decision to make. And I said, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. And I said, well, look, uh, I'm going to try to get this car a little bit further on. Can you, can you top me off with oil? Because the thing's burning oil, like I said. I mean, it's it just, it's burning as much oil as it's burning gas at this point. He says, yes, Mr. Hardy, and, and we'll just put some oil in for you, and we'll just charge you the cost of the oil. And I understand the difficult situation you're in, but uh, here we go. So, I get in my car and I start up. Smoke comes out the back. First stop I make, I stop at a like an auto parts store, like a like a Napa Auto Parts that I could I see, and I just buy a whole 
you know, cardboard flat of quarts of oil because I need to keep, I'm burning oil and if this thing goes dry, I know it's going to be a problem, right? But I buy a flat of oil. It, it's, it's like a dozen quarts of oil, all right? And I go on the freeway again and everybody's honking at me. It's a terrible thing. I'm super embarrassed and I'm billowing smoke and I pull into uh, to the next major area where I see another Mercedes mechanic. And it's it's in a town, little town there called El Toro, also right off the freeway. I'm sorry, Lake Forest, right off the freeway there between the two. And I pull in and it's like I'm repeating a scenario. The same thing happens again. You, you, it, another guy in a white lab coat. The place is spotless. He's got plaques and trophies and crystal awards of superior service all over the place. And he tells me the same story. Mr. Hardy, Mr. Hardy, there's something desperately wrong with your car. And he says, it's going to be thousands of dollars to fix this thing. And I said, it doesn't make sense. And I say, look, can, can I, is it okay? I said, you know, can I leave my car out here in your parking lot for the night? He says, sure, yes, mister. He's, he's showing pity and compassion on me. I, I feel that this guy feels my pain because I don't have a lot of money. I can't afford to buy another new car right now. He knows I'm struggling with this so out of passion and pity, and pity, he allows me to keep my car parked in his lot because I walk across the street and I see an Enterprise Rent-A-Car and I rent a car and I drive home and I tell my wife, I say, honey, look, I need to get my, you know, I've got my, my normal guy that I, you know, it's, it's called a place in Huntington Beach. I don't know. It's still there anymore. This is 30 years ago. There's a place called Hans Imports in Huntington Beach. And I said, they just work on Audi and Mercedes. And this guy, you know, Bryce was my service writer there. He knew me. He knew the car. He knew it was kind of a little fun project car that whenever I had a little extra money, I would do something, do it. And he helped me get parts and stuff like that. So he knew the car. I thought, okay. I'm going to get, I need to get my smoking heap of Mercedes wreck from Lake Forest, California to Huntington Beach where Bryce is and then I've solved the problem. So I asked my wife, honey, can you drive me to pick up my car? Of course she says, yes, she's wonderful. So she picks me up and she drives me to the place in Lake Forest, the mechanic's office. I start the car up, and I, I'm staying off the freeway now because literally this thing's smoking like it's on fire. In fact, we're driving back side roads to get to Huntington Beach because I want to stay off the freeway, and I'm pulled over by the police. And I'm pulled over by the police not because I'm speeding or I ran a stop sign. The policeman is pulling me over in benevolence because he literally thinks my car is on fire. He pulls me over. And I, can, I tell the cop, I show him that, that I'm consuming oil. I point to my wife back behind me in her Mazda, and I say, that's my wife. She's following me. I'm taking the car to the mechanic. And he says, okay, just as long as you're not, he's looking under the car with his, with his flashlight. I want to make sure you're making sure I'm safe. But sure enough, I pull in to Hans Ports in Huntington Beach, California, and I, the place is closed. It's the middle of the night. And I literally park it out front, take my car keys, and throw them over the fence towards the front door, right? And then I have my wife drive me back home. I take the rental car to work. Bryce is there. He knows my car. He sees my car. He knows me. He has me on file. So he calls me. I expected about midday. He calls me. He says, hey, Jeff, I, found, I, found, I saw your car. I see you dropped it off. Wow. Uh, we have a problem, dude. 
and it, it's it's really serious. I started it up, and that billowing black, billowing black blue smoke comes spilling out the back. He says, you've thrown a ring, or you've blown internal seal, or a gasket, or a bearing. He says, this is going to be a serious problem. He says, you know, it you might, it's, maybe it's time, and you've had, you've had a lot of fun with, is it almost the exact words, I can hear it, because it was so, so terrible for me to hear these words. He says, Jeff, I know you've had a lot of fun with this car, but maybe it's time that you uh, start, you, that, you, that you parted it out, because there's some valuable parts in this car. It's probably worth more as parts now than it is to try to save the car. And I said into the phone, I said, Bryce, it doesn't make any sense. He says, Jeff, I know you don't want to hear it, but this is the truth. Now, this is the guy I've worked with for a, a year or so with my car. And he's like, he's a decent guy. I know he, he means me well. I know he, he doesn't want me to be upset and he wants to continue to maybe do the customer. I know all that stuff. I could feel it. I could feel that he wanted to give me good service. But he believed, he believed in his soul, an expert who works on nothing but ger- fine German automobiles. And he believed that I was in big trouble here. And I, and I just I just started thinking about my car. I'm not a mechanic. I hadn't I hadn't worked on a car since auto shop back in high school, right? But I started thinking about my car, and I said, Bryce, look, okay, all right. If it's if it's real, it's real. If it's, if it's, we have to do something, we have to do something. But but do me a favor. I said, now when I stick my 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 key in the in the door, all right, it it unlocks the doors. He says, yeah, it's got power locks, but it, lock, it unlocks the trunk. It unlocks both doors. He says, yeah, it's a, it's one of the first power lock systems ever invented. It was put in this generation of Mercedes, and and it'll. I said, but it doesn't work electronically. It's not like a it's not like a, a sound of electric motors and gears. I said, I hear a sucking sound. He says, yeah, it's got a vacuum pump. He says, this car was very in, innovative. It, it it has a vacuum pump in it. And uh, a vacuum, an actual vacuum reservoir that stores vacuum so that all the systems in the car are run, all the automated systems are run off this vacuum pump. Vacuum provides the power. And I said, okay, well, where does it get the vacuum from? He says, well, there's a vacuum pump that sits on top of the, the main crankcase right by the intake manifold. And I said, okay, Bryce, I said, look, I don't know anything about this. I said, but it makes sense to me that... If you've got a spinning gear vacuum pump that's being driven on top of your of your box there, and and it's right near your intake manifold, if you have it's got a spinning gear on one side with vacuum, and on the other side it's got got to be cooled somehow. He says, "Yeah, it's an oil cooled pump." I said, "Okay, so you got a vacuum on one side, and you have oil on the other side. In between the two. There's got to be some sort of a seal or a little gasket or a diaphragm or something to keep them from, from, from mingling. All of a sudden, the phone goes dead quiet on his end. I kept going. I said, if that little seal or gasket, if it got a little hole in it or something like that or it wore out, then you'd have oil being sucked right through the, from the crankcase directly into your intake manifold. Again, silence. He says, would you, I said, would you just do me a favor? Is that, is that a possibility? Is that real? He said, I'll, I'll look into it. About two hours later, I get a call back, not from Bryce. I get a call back from Hans himself. This is from Hans, the guy at Hans Imports. Hans is calling me back, and he's laughing. In a thick German accent, 
He's laughing and he says, ha ha ha, Bryce, he wants to quit today. You have made Bryce my best guy. You made him want to quit because now the customers are diagnosing their own problems. So it cost me $79 to fix it, a little bit more uh, because uh, all the burning oil had caused the oil, the spark plugs to get coated in oil, but that wasn't related to the problem. The problem itself cost $79, including parts and labor to fix the problem. Now, Here's the deal. All those people, the, the two guys, the two new mechanics I didn't know, and Bryce, they are experts. They were experts. And I also believe that they, in this case, there are exceptions in the world, but in this case, I believe they were giving me their honest opinion. But also I know from my experience that they would have charged me $2,000 to do a deep engine, to pull my engine, to do a deep engine diagnosis, and it wouldn't have solved the problem. So what's, what's the point of this? I just told you a long story. Look, what do you get out of that story? Let me tell you what I get out of that story. Expertise is largely a myth. I'm not saying that there are not people who are really well-trained, really experienced, and really well-educated in specific areas. What I am saying is that making good decisions, under the true depth of understanding, is something different from that. Making good decisions is separate and distinct from the education and the training of experts in a field. And that in a reality, we can't rule ourselves, our lives, our finances, our communities, just based upon what an expert tells us. It has to be tied with a thread. We have to be willing at every point to be willing to be courageous, willing to be wrong, willing to step out there and challenge the ideas that are being presented to us. We have to be able to say to an expert, you need to be able to explain why you're right to me in a way that not only I understand it, but that makes sense. I'm going to give you another example. I was, giving, I was in a discussion, you know, uh, with a, with a uh, at the time, I'm going to withhold names to protect the privacy of the individual, but he's a vice, he was a vice president at, uh, at the Bank of New York. And we were having a discussion about economics. And he tended to be, you know, a kind of, I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but he tended to be a Keynesian guy, kind of a government solves all the problems type of guy. And I, I tend to be more of a, you know, if you wanted to stick me in a box, I hate being stuck in a box, but I lean towards free, freedom and free markets, but I'm not dogmatic about that. I'm sure that will come up in future podcasts. But we we're having this discussion, and, and I was making my points, and then he argued back to me. His argument back about why I was wrong is that he had a master's in economics and he had a good job at a bank. And therefore, he was right. So let that sink in for a second. Here you have a guy, and I don't doubt him. Maybe he had a master's in economics. He definitely, you know, his resume certainly said he was the vice president of the Bank of New York. You know, I don't doubt those credentials. But if your argument that says you're right 
If your argument that says I should be following your advice or I should be setting policy based upon your opinion, if your argument is that basically you get to recite me your resume, if that's your argument, I no longer trust you. Some of the most educated people in the world, some of the people with advanced PhDs, some people who teach these subjects, sometimes they're the ones who are the most biased, and sometimes they're the ones who are the most dogmatic, and sometimes they're some of the ones who are the most wrong. So... That experience was profound to me. I've experienced it in other ways throughout my life. But it also gives you a little insight into me and about what makes me tick, right? Everything needs to be challenged. Everything needs to be examined outside the box. And if it doesn't make sense, if we hear things, if I hear things out in the world, no matter what they are, and I, it doesn't make sense, we can't tie the threads together, you can't show me a direct cause and effect relationship, I'm not just going to rely upon your resume. I'm not just going to sit there and blindly follow what you say. I'm going to challenge it a little bit. I'm going to push it. And if you can't articulate why you believe what you believe, then the problem's probably with you. Or in this case, a vice president of the Bank of New York or a Mercedes mechanic in San Clemente. So that's that. That's kind of a philosophical underpinning. And we're going to do that with everything. We're going to do that with everything in this podcast and more. I hope that sounds interesting because to me that sounds interesting as heck. That's it. I'll see you next time. Lots to talk about. We ain't done yet, folks. Talk to you soon.